This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Next Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering four conversations from Episode 6, Louise Campbell's interview with Dr. Tony Rahman, who serves as the Director of Gastroenterology and Hepatology at the Prince Charles Hospital in Brisbane, Australia, and an adjunct professor at James Cook University. Plus, from the vault, Conversation 23.5 from Season 3, in which German patient advocate Achim Kautz and former GLI Vice President of Policy and Public Affairs, Andrew Scott, joined Louise, Jorn Schottenberg, and me to discuss what Achim and Andrew consider the two key areas for focusing patient organizing and advocacy. Louise leads this final conversation off by highlighting the prospect of imminent drug approvals in the fatty liver space. She asks Tony for impressions on Australia's ability to identify its patient population and to distribute limited resources in response to accessing expensive new drugs. In response, Tony describes the approval pathway in Australia and suggests the ultimate challenge will involve finding what he terms the, and I quote, hidden cohorts, end of quote, of patients who will benefit from these drugs. This will take time. It'll take money. Australia healthcare doesn't have a ton of either. Louise points to the Predictive Health Intelligence Project that Tim Jobson outlined for us in Season 4, Episode 5, which sounds promising to Tony, but will be challenged by Australia's lack of state-of-the-art electronic records. He hopes that within the next 10 years, this can be an area for massive improvement. The last part of this discussion focuses on the future of fatty liver for us in Australia. Louise asks for what Tony envisions in the next two to three years. He first highlights optimism around use of semaglutide and other GLP-1s as a major wall of defense, and then looks to the mission of driving education in public health and for hepatology and gastroenterology societies to heavily petition for the fact that NAFLD and NASH are an escalating dilemma in need of addressing now, even if it means spending money and resources that might otherwise be scarce. As you can see in this conversation, Australia combines some of the challenges that we all face, rapidly rising populations, bad food choices, particularly in certain minority communities, with some unique to its own, a very remote rural population and fairly low levels of expenditure. It is interesting to listen to Tony and Louise kick these issues around, think about what they mean in the context of the countries that we live in and Australia as well. So what I suggest you do is just sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue in our LinkedIn discussion group. Louise Campbell. Medication is very likely to be approved, intercept, obviously, obesocodic acid and resmeterone by Madrigal in the next 12 to 14 months, probably, is the time estimate. Are Australia ready to locate their population, find them, once we have access to very expensive drugs to treat something we currently know very little about? And what you're describing it there is have very little resources to be able to do it. Tony Rahman. I mean, obviously, the studies that have taken place, and Australia has been involved in some of those studies, I think there's a couple of issues. One is that the patient cohorts, I mean, if you look at all teaching hospital centres, I suspect everyone will have half a dozen patients in their clinic who would fit the bill for someone to go on to a beta-codic acid right now. But in terms of having access to those cohorts of patients who are not within the clinic, i.e. still in the GP surgery, those numbers will be significant. And the drug may be TGA approved, but as you know, TGA approval is the first step. The next step is the PBS sort of guidelines around its use. And I think that will be a limiting factor in terms of what the allowance will be for people to be accepted to use it. Often the PBS guidelines can be quite strict. But having 
said that, you see, Australia led the way when it came to hep C treatment, really quite remarkably, that they wanted everyone treated. And the difficulty for us now is that there are cohorts of people that are there, but we can't find them. And I suspect with NAFLD, it would be very similar. If the government decide that this is something they really want to put their teeth to, if they have that sort of approach, I think, again, the easy patients will come. And these are the patients already on the systems, perhaps have been in a trial, perhaps just sitting in clinics, getting a bit of vitamin E or something. But the cohorts, the hidden cohorts, will take it will take time. And I think you're absolutely right about the cost, because the cost will be a big factor. That's key. And we did a, an episode last week with Tim Jobson from Somerset, and they have a system that reads the trends in patients' blood tests over a number of years so it can pick out all of your high risks your medium risks, your low risks, so that you can you start with the, rather like the Australian hep C system, you start with the cirrhotics first and then you work down and you start to cure. From my use of um, CERNA and electronic systems back in the early 2000s, I think those are where advantages I see in the Australian system. It may not be robust in having the data currently, but because of the systems it does have in place, in primary in private and, and public health, the ability to read those systems and locate your risk patients may be greater than some of the other countries. I really don't know about that because and my experience in Brisbane has not been uh, great with regards to the electronic uh, systems. I mean, again, I, I don't know what the situation is in Western Australia, but the majority of hospitals in Queensland are not on the electronic system at the moment. It's coming over the next 10 years or something. But the issue that we've had is that System A does not talk to System B and System B does not talk to System C. And so you might have five different electronic systems, but none of them actually cross-talk. So I think the issue also will be when you're trawling databases the next issue is then the ethical issues around pulling patients off databases without permission i think there's a whole heap of things that one would have to think about but um i mean it was a bit like the hep c issues in the uk i know that you could go into a gp surgery and you could find old hep c patients and then start offering them treatment when i came here 10 years ago i said well actually why can't we just do that and it was quickly closed down because of personal privacy issues The, the rules are completely different so so again, that might require a bit of thinking. Yeah, that was the comment last week that we need to be using patients' data to help them rather than restrict us helping them by stopping using their data. If you had to think about where you see fatty liver disease going in the next two to three years here in Australia, what excites you, what frustrates you and what do you think the obstructions would be? To be perfectly honest with you, I mean, obviously we've just been through COVID, so it's been three years of not much happening. I think the most exciting thing that I've seen in the last, 12 months has been the Saxenda and Ozympic use, which has gone from the diabetic cohort being pretty successful to amazing success with people who are taking it privately because they can buy their own supply if they can get it. And amazing stories of people seeing people who've lost 20, 30, 40 kilos over the last 12 months. And so whilst we don't have anything else, I, I personally see that as the interim solution. Now, obviously, I don't know what happens when they stop taking Saxenda or they stop taking Ozempic. We don't know. And I always say to the patients that it's not just about the weight loss. The habits have got to change as well. Otherwise, once you stop taking Ozempic, if you've got the old habits, it's all just going to come back. So I think that's been exciting to see because you see people really doing amazingly well uh, where the only option previously was weight loss surgery. And we, people who've been in this game for a long time, realise that weight loss surgery is not always what it looks to be because 15 years down the line, actually your weight may be back up to where it was before. So I think that's been good. I think the next mission for public health will be actually education. And I think in terms of 
the priorities for all the gastroenterology and hepatology associations and the learning societies is now to start petitioning strongly for the fact that in 2050 this is going to be a terrible terrible problem with lots of people who have no curable outcomes because by 2050 these numbers of people who are cirrhotic you know, or by that stage will be cirrhotic will be huge and you know the biggest transplant programs in the world will not be able to cope with these people and it's really now that people have to start thinking about it so i think going to the future yes the antifibrinolytic drugs will be great and for the right patients it will be fantastic if they can tolerate the side effects of what happens but i suppose that's stage one isn't it and as we've seen with interferon that was stage one and then we ended up two decades later with amazing medication with no side effects that was totally curative so i think this is the beginning of that journey and yeah i mean you know 10 20 years time i suspect this is going to be something that will probably not exist well one hopes that would be a great outcome for any of these new medications and i could listen to you talk about the role of australia and where it's going all night but i've taken up way too much of your time i'd like to thank you and i'd love to ask you back at some stage with some more kayla uh, we're going to get um hopefully the australian liver foundation on um to have a conversation with their initiatives and that in the future and it'd be great to have you on again and maybe Heart of Australia to see what we can learn but I think it's sharing these initiatives around the world that allows us to pick and see what works doesn't work and continually readapt but I think you've been clear that we've got a a pandemic of fatty liver disease and I think Australia is leading the world in liver cancer it's about getting that knowledge out giving people the opportunity for liver health rather than liver illness changing that paradigm the Australian government could drive it certainly I think most countries around the world use ultrasound elastography as their code for fibre scan, even though it's not. <laughs> and I know that's used here. Thank you very much for the time and I'm staying up so late because I appreciate this midnight in Brisbane and a couple of hours behind you here in Perth. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Louise. And now for the season four, episode six business report. Slava Ukraini, Hroyan Slava. Glory to Ukraine, glory to heroes. As you know, I've been on vacation most of the past week and not following world affairs as closely as usual. That said, most of what I read this week has focused on the one year anniversary of the initial Russian attacks, which will come on February 24th. And these articles question what Russia will do to mark that date. Let's hope that the resolve of the Ukrainian people, backed by new arms from Europe and the U.S., fortify them against any upgraded attacks. And again, Slava Ukraini. It feels like a weekly thing to announce revisions to the future episode schedule. Compared to last week's updates, these are minor revisions focusing solely on this week and next. For the reasons I described in the introduction, our larger focus on Australia will have to wait a month or two until Louise is back down under with time to work on this. So, this week was scheduled to be a full episode on Australia. It was an introduction. Next week was scheduled to be another episode on Australia. But I just got back to work today. We'll have a great topic by Monday. I've seen two or three publications in the last couple of weeks that would be great episodes if we can get the authors to join us. We'll let you know what we come up with early next week. From the vault, some thoughts on patient advocacy. This week's vault comes from last May, season three, episode 25.5. German patient advocate Achim Kautz and Andrew Scott, who at the time was the Global Liver Institute's vice president of policy and public affairs, joined us to discuss exactly what patient advocates do. In this final section of the episode, they shared what they consider two key areas of focus for future organizing and advocacy. As you reflect on today's Australia interview with Tony Rahman, it might help to consider what is working now, what might work better, and how any of this relates to the excellent advice that Achim and Andrew gave us last year about patient advocacy and support. January turned out to be a banner month for downloads. (laughs) 
Last week I said, and I quote, after a really anemic start, January 23 is on track to be among our five best months ever, maybe even top three. So much for that prediction. January actually finished as our strongest download month ever. And February has started out remarkably well these first two days. Not to harp on this, but the one thing that will be even greater is when you folks start sending us reviews that make their way back to us and boost our ratings in the Apple system, pod status, and the other places that matter to us. Enough said about that. So for that, I'm off. Thanks to Jake, Magic Mike, and Louise for pulling things together this past week despite my vacation and Louise's challenges and hoping that the medical issues in her family are resolved quickly and happily for everybody involved. So stay tuned for the weekend conversations, which will come on Saturday and Sunday. And join us Monday for an excellent new topic. Until then, stay safe, surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Have any questions for the surfers? You can send them to surfingnash.com and we will answer on the podcast or the website. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded this conversation or send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with a discussion of the recently pressed AASLD guidelines and how they relate to the important need to bring frontline providers who treat the patients with diabetes and obesity into this discussion. Until then, stay safe, surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.